a sense of urgency to strive for excellence in the areas of your mind, your body, and your soul so that you can cultivate these transcendental desires of truth, goodness, and beauty and see how they are fulfilled in God and in God alone. So my wife and I are celebrating our nine-year wedding anniversary this week. We'll already have celebrated it when you're listening to this. And um, we do the traditional wedding gifts, you know, for each year. And this year is leather and wicker. And so I've been like, you know, searching and searching. But at the same time, my wife, she's been leaving jewelry magazines all over the house. So finally, I was just like, you know what? All right, I'll take a hint. So I got her a magazine rack. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 122. No, I did not get my wife a magazine rack. Um, thank goodness. But so good to be back with you. And a reminder, if you're a first-time listener or you have not yet done so, please make sure you rate and review this podcast after listening. It really helps other people find it. And share it with someone who you think might benefit. You can send it to them directly. You can share it on social media. If you do, please tag us on Instagram. Our account is at ManaFoodForThought. Or on Twitter, our account is at ManaF the number four T and you can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com as well as all of our podcast episodes, all of our blogs, our old vlogs, all the embarrassing old stuff from the very beginning. Uh, and you can click on the Patreon tab to become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month and you can help contribute to this podcast and you get perks. So thank you so much for all of you who do that. And it's so great to be back with you. Let's get into joy, junk, and Jesus. My joy this week is, as I said, my wife and I are celebrating our anniversary going out to a nice dinner, doing a fun escape room together. Um, the kids are being watched, so that will be really nice. As I'm recording this, it's, it'll be tomorrow night, but we'll, it will have already happened once you're listening. So um, I'm just very excited to have that time with my wife, and we don't get to do things like that super often, especially like a really nice dinner and, you know, having – we have evenings together sometimes, but, um, yeah, it's just really great. So I'm very excited about that and just so excited to still be married to my wife. I mean, I just – yeah, it's awesome. I love her more and more every single day. And we've been through so much, especially through weathering the pandemic. And I just feel like we're stronger and uh, more trusting in one another, more trusting in God, especially. And that's just a beautiful thing. So yeah, all glory to God. So good. Um, my junk is that I am also royally overwhelmed and stressed out at work. Uh, sorry about the noise. Um, I, especially because uh, we were a little late in the game deciding where to send Hannah for preschool, and we finally decided, and now we're doing all of the paperwork and getting all of the supplies and trying to get her ready and all of this, and it's just like so, it's just a lot to do, and then it's also just like emotionally overwhelming, and I don't want to like overplay it because like she did VBS like for a whole week for half days, and this is like two half days a week, so it's like it's going to be nothing, she's going to be fine, like, but um, that's a little stressful, and uh, another junk that is kind of a springboard for this episode is I just, I had a really frustrating, difficult meeting, ministry meeting last week. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But before I do that, um, my Jesus moment was this past weekend, the first weekend of August, I spoke at all of the masses and gave kind of a little pitch and invitation for um, all of the adult ministries for people to volunteer, for people to attend. And like these volunteer forms have just been flooding in. Like I can't even manage them. It's part of the reason why I'm stressed. I have like an abundance of volunteers. Isn't it such a funny thing to be stressed out? Like God, God answered my prayer for volunteers like so abundantly that now I'm like stressing out about it when I should just be like, praise the Lord, you know? So, um, 
Yeah. So that is, I've really experienced God in that a bunch. And last night at our Bible study, we had a ton of new people and I just really experienced the Lord and just that growth. And we're starting to fill up the hall little by little. And uh, just, that would be such a gift and a blessing to be able to do that. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it'll make things a little more complicated, but you know, messy is just part of the Catholic experience, you know? So, um, yeah, praise God for all of that. So, um, yeah, so this episode, as I was saying, I had a really frustrating meeting this past week and I don't, I don't want to like, you know, um, air dirty laundry on, um, a podcast that I know many, you know, parishioners and friends of mine listen to, but the essential, essential, uh, kind of summary of what happened was that someone wanted to meet with me because a ministry that they're involved in that I run, there's one part of it that they, they don't like, and they want it to go back the way it used to be before I was in charge. And there's a really good vision and reason behind why we do things the way we do now. And this person is very well-intentioned and they believe they have really good reasons for why they want it back the other way. But it just, what was so surprising to me is this person got like very upset and heated. And then I was getting like really heated, you know, just like, come on, like, and, and I, eventually in this meeting, it, it ended up being just like healthy conflict. Like we left on good terms and, and I've seen this person since and it's been fine. And, you know, we can agree to disagree. And, you know, that's just part of the being a Catholic family. You know, I don't want people around me on my teams that only agree with me. Um, Abraham Lincoln, when he was elected president, not that I'm anything like Abraham Lincoln, but <laughs> when he was elected president, he elected a cabinet of people that all had differing opinions and different political views of, of him, maybe some similar, but he wanted people around him who could challenge him and could deal with different issues from different perspectives. And so I've always kind of admired that about him and tried to kind of implement some of that in ministry. Like, who are the unusual suspects? Who are the people that see things differently and who might know how things used to be and have more of a seasoned perspective or people who are more new and innovative and creative and how do we bring them together? But anyways... This thing is like, to me, like, so it, it's such like a win to do it the way we're doing it. And there's like so many good practical logistical reasons and like vision oriented reasons. And all of the reasons to not do it just seem to me kind of arbitrary and like not relevant. And, but we're, you know, sitting here arguing about this. And I just got in this moment where I was like, is this really like even worth it? Like, is this really like what we want to spend our time like arguing about? Like there are people out there who don't know the Lord. There are people out there who are dying of hunger and starvation, people out there who need to know Jesus. And we're arguing about like this one weird, like small component of how we do this one particular thing in ministry that really has no impact, you know, based on our feedback, based on our the experience I've had, no significant impact on how people go through the ministry, you know, and whether or not they think it's negative or positive, you know? So, um, yeah, it's just, it was just, I left that meeting like very emotionally like overwhelmed and heightened and also just like, why, why did we get so like into this something? And I was just, I was kind of like looking at myself from outside and I was like, this doesn't like matter. Like I was just kind of like almost like disappointed in myself and the whole experience like this really in the grand scheme of things like does not matter, you know? And like, the reasons why we do it the way we do are very, very good. We're going to keep doing it that way. But it's just like, why why get so upset or heated about this like very small thing? And it, so it was, I was obviously thinking about it a lot and like kind of stewing on it a little bit and venting to my wife about it, et cetera. And I was just thinking about that in in companion or in, in as a parallel to the gospel readings 
that we've been reading and that we'll continue to read these kind of very urgent eschatological readings about um, like the end of time or this need to be um, vigilant, to have the sense of urgency and to not get so fixated on earthly or temporary things or try to be in control because at whatever moment our life or the entire world could end, tomorrow is not promised and we can just suddenly be facing the Lord and have no kind of sense of readiness for that. Um, I came across a quote as I was kind of preparing some of those readings um, from Sir James Barry, who wrote or created Peter Pan. And he said, one of the most dangerous days in a man's life is when he discovers the word tomorrow. One of the most dangerous days in a man's life is when he discovers the word tomorrow. Because then we begin to put off, procrastinate, the things that really have meaning and we can tend to like get fixated on these very temporary not very important things and it got me thinking about like the christian life and the gospel and like you know what really is essential like what really should we be doing and we need to have just we need to strive to have the sense of urgency and to ensure our approach is balanced and it's not narrowly focused on one particular thing or one particular element of our faith uh, that leads to a neglect of our responsibility to the rest of what's essential. But we also have to look at the things that we're really upset about, anxious about, worried about, you know, angry about, and really ask ourselves, like, in the grand scheme of things, at the end of my life, is this really going to matter? You know, I think about times I've been embarrassed, which I don't get embarrassed very easily, but times when I was younger, I would get embarrassed. And someone once asked me, they were like, do you remember anyone else's most embarrassing moment growing up? Like, do you, do you like think about it often, like a time that you knew someone else got super embarrassed and did you, you, you know, make that as like a value judgment against them? And I was thinking, I was like, I can't think of a single instance, like in my entire childhood, even like my entire past where someone did something that was probably very embarrassing and that I like think about it, you know, like over and over again. And so the person was like, then why do you think about yours? Because nobody else is thinking about them. Like nobody else is remembering, you know, that thing that you, you did or that happened to you when you were, you know, in class in front of the whole room. Like nobody else remembers that or like thinks about that. So why, why be burdened by it? And it was just very freeing, you know, to kind of let go of that. Um, because when you have that outside perspective, it helps us recognize that the things that we're focused on or fixated on in the grand scheme of things don't always matter. And I talk about often having a deathbed mentality. And I often ask myself this when I get really heightened emotionally or when I'm really frustrated or irritated by, you know, someone close to me or my children not listening or, you know, I kind of put myself in that deathbed mentality and be like, how do I wish looking back on this moment I would act if I were, if I were on my deathbed? And it causes me to be gentler. It causes me to really look at the big picture and not be so fixated on just like everything being perfect or just the way I want it or just in my control. And I can just kind of let go and let things be, you know. Um, it encourages me to play more and be more present with my children or be more present with the people around me and not worry so much about like, you know, is everything perfect? Is everything, you know, uh, am I, you know, presentable? Are we talking about the things that I want to talk about or doing the things that I want to do? Or is everything kind of, you know, done or, you um, checked off the list, whatever it is, you know, whatever you worry about, I think we can, we can give ourselves permission to let go of those things. And I was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, if we do focus on what is essential, we also can't be too narrow. And the way I kind of wanted to present this is uh, I heard Bishop Barron a few times kind of use this analogy 
and I've kind of added to it and expanded upon it my own way. But we did a whole series a while back on like the true, the good, the beautiful, and also um, love and belonging, those five transcendentals that we all share. We have all these desires, all of us, uh, the philosopher Plato said, we all share these desires for perfect love, perfect belonging, perfect truth, perfect goodness, and perfect beauty. And no one can explain where that comes from. We just inherently have them. And it's one of the kind of philosophical arguments for some kind of God. That, that's where it comes from. It was created within us. And so, uh, but this idea of the truth, goodness, and beauty, like being an approach to a balanced life of a disciple, and each one of those elements kind of corresponding to something that really does need our focus. So first, truth. How are we being formed in the faith? How are we learning about our faith? You know, catechesis, formation, Bible study, things like that. Those things are important. We need to be able to know our faith so that we can share the gospel, at least know it in such a basic way that we can answer some basic questions, share, promote, defend the Catholic faith. That's the responsibility of every disciple, to evangelize, to defend the faith, to promote it in whatever way we've been called to, in whatever avenue of life God uh, leads us to, whatever vocation we're in, whatever gifts and talents he's given us, uh, we can use them to share that message. So do we know it? You know, do we know it? Do we have the ability to argue the existence of God. If someone says, well, I don't believe that God is real and, uh, and I don't acknowledge the Bible. Like, can you, do you have arguments that don't need the Bible? You know, that use just basic logic or philosophy or science or whatever, you know? Do you have basic arguments to defend the fact that Jesus really lived and rose from the dead? Basic arguments to talk about the, um, the primacy of, uh, the Catholic church and Peter as the Pope, you know, like, Things like that, like that people will commonly have questions about, you know, the common differences between Catholicism and other religions, things like uh, the Pope, uh, the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, purgatory, um, how we see faith and works related, even though there's not that huge of a difference, um, despite people thinking there is. So, you know, those things, like how are we being formed in the faith, really knowing scripture as well as we can, and really investing time in that, like investing things in the mind, you know, the avenues of the mind. So that's truth. Secondly is, is beauty. I want to go beauty second. Um, and beauty has to do with like the liturgy and the sacraments. And you can see how if, going back to what I said before, if you narrowly focus on this, like if you're just focused on formation, like we really got to do apologetics, we really got to like learn the faith and know it, you're just kind of going to become an intellectual snob about Catholicism. And you can learn a lot about Jesus, but then you can recognize like, oh, I don't really know him. I know a lot about him, but I don't really know him. And so you need this balance, okay? So that's where beauty comes in, that we experience the liturgy or the mass, uh, as it's sometimes called the liturgy, and the sacramental life of the church so we can encounter Jesus and really live in relationship with him. To recognize, like, when we receive the Eucharist, we receive Jesus intimately into our bodies, just like a bride and a groom receive each other uh, in front of an altar. Uh, We walk up to the altar to receive Jesus. It's the same kind of image. Like, do we have that intimate growing, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ? And when we mess up, do we get reconciled through the sacrament of reconciliation and really invest in those things of the soul? And then lastly is goodness. And goodness being these things like service and social justice. Now you can see also being too narrowly focused on this can make you can just kind of turn you into like a, like a social justice warrior who's just always hard, like, um, 
vocalizing different causes and that's like all they think is important but doesn't really want to learn about the faith or really want to go to mass or worship or pray it's just all about activism or if you're only concerned in the mass you can get very like liturgically focused like this needs to be traditional it needs to be in latin it needs to have chant like you can be very hyper focused on how you experience or express those things and it can uh, just remove or uh, weaken your ability to see and experience all the the balanced ways that we're called to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I don't know what that could look like for you, but like, um, look to scripture in Matthew 25, the corporal works of mercy, uh, in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, um, you know, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, visit the imprisoned, sheltering the homeless, visiting the sick, burying the dead. Like, how are you doing these different things? Are you contributing to your local food pantry, soup kitchen? Are you engaging and encountering with homeless people when you see them and just smiling at them and acknowledging they exist and learning their name and seeing if you can help them at all or just seeing them as a, another human being or directing them to the the nearest shelter pantry you know whatever it is do you have have you invested the time to learn a little bit about that information or uh, there's also the spiritual works of mercy like admonishing or correcting the sinner instructing the ignorant counseling the doubtful comforting the sorrowful bearing wrongs patiently, forgiving all injuries, praying for the living and the dead. Like these are things that we can do to ensure that we are having a balanced approach and doing the things that Jesus asked of us. You know, he says that in that passage in Matthew 25, like whatever you did for these least brothers of mine, you did for me. And those who did it go on his right and those who didn't go on his left and they go into a place characterized as hell, like that we're going to be judged by our actions and specifically according to how we served. However, we're also going to be judged on how we've responded to faith and how we've, you know, learned the faith, how we've evangelized or whether we've, you know, um, shirked our responsibility in that regard and how we've come to God in worship selfishly or um, have we done it sacrificially, praising God, giving him whatever he's given, given us, giving it right back to him for his glory. Like these things, truth, goodness, and beauty, our mind, our, you know, investing in our mind, using our body to serve others, and um, investing in our soul, our relationship with God. Are we doing those things every week, every day? And I know I've said this before many times, but I think it's, it's cannot be lost on us, this need to make sure that we are investing some time, an hour every day or a few hours every week in our mind, our body, and our soul. You know, how are you cultivating different um, desires to learn your, your education, not just about your spiritual life, but, you know, in general, your body, like, are you eating well? Are you exercising? Are you doing things that are going to allow you to be a good steward of your body and to live the healthiest life you can so that you can go and serve others and you're not inhibited? Are you doing good things for your soul? Are you praying every day? Are you going to mass? Are you attending the sacrament, attending to the sacraments? Um, are you doing whatever type of prayer that's really going to give you life, whether that's, you know, contemplative prayer during adoration, whether it's meditative prayer like the rosary or with scripture or vocal prayer, just talking to the Lord. And do you have a good variety of that? Um, you know, are you in spiritual direction? You know, have you sought out guidance? Do you need a therapist to really work through some stuff that's preventing you from, you know, experiencing God as a loving father or experiencing community? or being able to forgive, like all of that stuff is necessary to be a whole person. And those things are the things that really have meaning. 
the little insignificant things like, oh, I really was supposed to do this errand today, or I really don't like how this thing is happening, or I really don't like that this changed, or whatever it is, do they really matter in the end? But I know that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to wish that I invested more time in my spiritual life. I'm going to wish I invested more time in serving others and serving my family. I'm going to wish I invested more time in you know, learning things that um, I really wanted or pursuing things I really wanted to pursue academically um, and wishing that I had really kind of like sacrificed so that I could do that so I could use my gifts better to serve others uh, and not just kind of waiting around or procrastinating for when it fell in my lap. So mind, body, and soul, truth, goodness, and beauty, do those things all show up in your spiritual life? Do they show up in your everyday life? Are they overshadowed by insignificant things that you're kind of obsessing over or attached to, things you're trying to control or that you're anxious and worried about? Give yourself a deathbed mentality. Put yourself on the last day of your life and ask, does any of that matter? Does this deadline matter? If I call this person back within 24 hours, does it matter? If I'm on call 24-7, does it really matter? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Because sometimes the thing that matters most is just reading a book to your kids or just being present to the barista who looks like they're having a bad day or sitting and learning the name of someone who uh, everyone else walks by, giving an affirmation or uh, an, uh, showing gratitude to someone who everyone else just kind of ignores, you know, which is part of their job. Someone like a teacher, a priest, a lunch lady, a police officer, a fireman, uh, you know, people who, who sacrifice so much to do so much for us and rarely are ever thanked. Whatever that looks like for you, I would encourage you to find a way to have a sense of urgency to let go, have a deathbed mentality about what matters most and what matters least, and then a sense of urgency to strive for excellence in the areas of your mind, your body, and your soul so that you can cultivate these transcendental desires of truth, goodness, and beauty and see how they are fulfilled in God and in God alone and learning about him and putting that learning into action by serving others and bringing it all back to worship in the mass and the sacraments in our prayer. That is what a well-balanced life looks like, a well-rounded urgency looks like in our spiritual life. That is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. It's always so good to be with you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless. Thank you.